If you believe, they put a man on the moon, man on the moon. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, I'm Cormac Duff. Oh, and I'm your grunge emo princess Isadora, but with like strawberries. And today we're reviewing the 1999 biopic of Andy Kaufman, Man on the Moon, starring Jim Carrey. Is that what we're reviewing? No. I never have any idea, honestly. <laughs> I was just trolling you. Isadora, what film are we reviewing today? First Man. Oh, you got it this time. <laughs> What's up? What's up? Have you been cramming for this? You're like, I'm going to learn the names of the movies That's we're going to review. That's all the studying I've been doing. Yeah. Like, all the doctors are like, mm, have you been studying for your last year of medical school? And I'm like, sure, sure, sure. All the lists of movies I'm supposed to review. <laughs> also, for anyone watching this in video form, Isadora, what are you wearing today? I'm wearing the strawberry dress, which mm -hmm. Cormac gave me for my birthday. Um, but it's not my birthday yet. But, okay. This dress is from a fantastic designer named... Lyrica Matoshi. It became the most famous dress of 2020 because it is cottagecore, 2AT, and I saw it online and thought, I am going to wear the shit out of this dress for my graduation. <laughs> I Med school's gonna love me. I only understood half of what you said, but I'm glad that she's happy. Hard cottagecore vibes. Cool. And uh, so we're reviewing First Man. Came out uh, in 2018, and it's a Neil Armstrong biopic starring the wonderful Ryan Gosling. So Isadora, uh, what, um, after uh, Armstrong died in 2012, there was a big rush to make a film of his life. How do you think this film did? S summarize it as someone who uh, never seen it before or hasn't heard of it. White man must go to the moon to deal with his waspy existential angst. It was the most expensive therapy session I've ever seen. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> and here's the thing, it's not about him being like a white man per se, it's about the fact that like, I feel like it's an entire commentary on that there's a subsection of men in America, particularly men who grew up in traditional WASP environment, that have a really hard time describing their feelings. So the entire movie is about the fact that he's lost his daughter and basically his journey to the moon is his kind of catharsis, mm. overcoming the sadness, overcoming the fact that it's slowly destroyed his relationship with his wife and everyone. Yeah, so what I really liked about the film is, uh, like in American culture, it's uh, you know seen as a positive thing to be a workaholic, to like put forget about everything else in your life and just bury yourself in work. Like uh, there's a scene in Zero Dark Thirty where the character works for the CIA and turns like a blind eye to torture is asked by James Calafidi's character. It's like, oh, what do you do in your spare time? She's like, what do you mean my spare time? Like my entire life is this. It's like hunting down Bin Laden. And then when she actually finds Bin Laden, she's like cries afterwards because she's like what do i do now like this was the point of my entire life like it feels like that in first man uh so it, in the early 60s his uh young daughter dies from leukemia and you know the day after the funeral he turns up at work and pretends like nothing's happened and that is like a way of dealing with grief is just by trying to ignore it completely but the entire film is saying that if you try to do that it'll create like massive you know kind of angst and pain and create distance between you and other people who are grieving like like his wife, like wasn't just him that was grieving. Yeah, and he ended up not being a particularly good husband to her because he couldn't talk about the grief, which when she had no one to really share it with. Mm. Because in 1960s America, it wasn't like it was extremely common for people to share their grievances with each other. But also, this is still a problem in American culture to this day. I think particularly in the Silicon Valley, like when you're doing an interview for a startup in San Francisco, they'll often ask you what your hobby is, but your hobby answer is always supposed to be, oh, one real hobby, and then I love to code in my spare time. Yeah, exactly. You no, know, like you're always, there's, you're supposed to have like these like 20 like side hustle coding projects, and mm. I'm like, but what if this is just my job and I can have a 
normal hobby in my day-to-day life yeah that's that's it it is a culture that like your job should be your life but you can more than that and um sort of the film which, which i really appreciate um when they go to space in the Gemini mission and later in the Apollo mission, they don't do these, you know, sweeping 2001 Space Odyssey shots where they show the outside of the ship and, you know, they play like dun 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 <laughs> you know, like, or like the Star Trek music in the background, like, you know, showing how grand and majestic space travel is. Like, all the shots are from inside the capsule and it's just like shaking and noise and, uh, you know, like feeling Very terrified. It's, it's incredibly claustrophobic. It's, uh, it's like being, it's like in Das Boot, it's like being in a submarine and, you feel like these people are only like one accident away from like dying but they were like yeah. that's the thing yeah. that you realize when you watch this movie which i thought was so cool is that mm. um i feel like when we're taught about space travel in the united states we we're taught as students i think particularly in elementary school middle school high school mm. that it was something that we were very certain we were going to be successful at and yeah. then this movie really does display the fact that like a lot of early spacemen died. Yeah. Like, a lot of like, astronauts died before we were actually able like, to successfully I, get on the moon. Yeah. Neil Armstrong wasn't the first man who was supposed to go on the moon. Like, the the uh, Apollo 1 mission uh, died before they were, before they had a chance to even take off. And, uh, like, this mission showed, or this movie showed that it's... <sighs> these astronauts were taking their lives into their own hands, which makes the whole grief thing even sadder. Like, the her wife... His wife knew that every time that she got in, that he got into the space capsule, there's a chance he wouldn't come back. And even when he was, uh, there's a scene where he's trying to land like a lunar, the lunar lander on a desert, and it's like the most janky thing ever. Like, and it's clearly not built for Earth gravity as well. It's built for Moon gravity, and he almost dies. He like ejects from the last minute, and that space and survives. But that's based on a true story. Like he, he could have died at several stages even before landing on the moon. Yeah, and I don't know. As someone who learned about the lunar landing in a very specific way where it was like, oh, this was a very certain thing, we had the best scientists in the world on mm. it, etc., etc., having a movie display to me how uncertain the success of the mission was, mm. was actually really interesting. Like, I just yeah. hadn't... I thought that they knew way more than they did, apparently, yeah. going into that, when really the movie's kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, man, there's, like, some stuff we can know, but the rest of it, we're just going to wing it. Yeah. It's going to be fine. Like, their onboard computer wasn't, you know, like Siri or, uh, like, like the Google Maps voice. It uh, it was less powerful than a Game Boy, so it couldn't play Tetris, and it wanted to land them in, like, a massive ravine, and Neil Armstrong had to overpower and be like, no, I don't think that's a good idea. I think maybe somewhere flat and safe would be, would be a better idea. Um, and Nixon had an entire speech prepared for if they had died trying to land on the moon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which that was just so terrifying. Which I have here, and I'd like to do in my Nixon voice, and that's all right. Go ahead, as long as we don't get copyrighted by America somehow. Yeah, exactly. I'm expecting, like, uh, Nixon's ghost to send the YouTube takedown notification from me. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past Nixon. <laughs> anyway, so this is what he would have said if uh, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin had died on their moon expedition. Fate has ordained that the men who went to explore the moon in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Aldrin, know that there is no hope for their recovery, but they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice. These two men are laying down their lives in mankind's most noble goal, the search for truth and understanding. It goes on like this for a bit. I'm going to get to the last paragraph again. Um, Others will follow and surely find their way home. 
Man's search will not be denied. But these men were the first, and they will remain the foremost in our hearts. For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever mankind. But see, I kind of really like the end of that speech for even if they, like, even, yeah. even for their survival. Hmm. Because I'm like, it did become a corner of the world for mankind. Hmm. I like the applicability of that. I actually, so I've read that speech before. I know that it's, I actually thought it was a very well-written speech, but hmm. I'm also like... It's a beautiful speech. Mmm, sir, that does not give me much, a. Uh, I do not know if you believe in the success of your own mission. <laughs> the fact that the speech for them dying was that good, like, tells you a lot. Yeah. Like, for, for reference, Mitt Romney did not have a concession speech for the 2012 election. Like, he was so sure that he was going to win. He's like, I don't need a concession speech. But for this, they're like, no, nah, there's a pretty good chance they're not going to make it. Yeah. So we better have a really good speech prepared that will go down in history as Nixon's best speech ever. I don't think that traditionally presidential candidates usually have, like, failure speeches, like, prepared unless... Unless they, like, know 100% they're going to have to concede, like, that they're obviously going to become a lame duck president. Like, I feel like uh, their speechwriters kind of write it, like, a day beforehand or something and hand it to them. Yeah. That's how they put... They don't want to think about it too much, and they certainly yeah. haven't rehearsed it beforehand. That's a beautiful speech. Like, that's such a well-thought-out and, like... And honestly, like, I think that if I saw that speech, I would just, like, cry a little bit and be like, oh, my dear God. The English, though, the utilization of the English language to make me have feelings. It's like fan fiction, but better. Yeah. And you know that I stay up till 3 a.m. reading fanfiction randomly, so... <laughs> yeah, I told Cormac yesterday that I was going to go to sleep at 9 p.m. I'm like, no, didn't oh, I had such a long day in the hospital, Cormac, spent four hours trying to find a doctor, and then it turned out that his clinic was canceled. Hmm. And I'm like, you know, bad day, I'm going to go to sleep now. And then later he asked me, he's like, yeah, how was your nice early sleep? Did you get a lot of sleep? I'm like, mmm, there was fanfiction, so no. It was <laughs> 3, 3 a.m. I, I slept, I was, <laughs> yeah um yeah so it's i love the like we said before the claustrophobic feeling of this film the feeling that when you got up there you wouldn't necessarily come down and what i also liked about the film is that it showed the um there was a lot of a bit like the vietnam war at the time there's a lot of opposition to the space project at the time which i wasn't aware about so because so much money was spent in the space projects, a lot of people said it could have been spent like better on like housing or you know healthcare. Or they cut to my personal favorite American author, Kurt Vonnegut, like a real interview, and he's like, Well, they could have spent the money on housing here in New York City. Or no, infrastructure. <laughs> infrastructure in New York City. I was like, Oh, Kurt Vonnegut. Yeah, New York City was terrible. It's like in Annie Hall it's described as like it's like, oh, this city is dying. It's dying. We gotta get out of here. I've heard that New York didn't get like uh, amazing to live in until like the 90s yeah basically until the 90s under uh, Giuliani before he became like an evil lawyer <laughs> to an evil president uh, he did make the city safer Giuliani is like exactly like that Batman quote where it's like Harvey Denson yeah you either die a hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain if he died in like 2007 he would have gone down as like New York's mayor during uh uh, 9-11 and yeah. you know the uh, the mayor who like brought safety to New York and made it one of the safest cities in the world um but no as and now he's <laughs> trump's lawyer who literally has um like like paint from his hair falling down his face as he oh and then the borat movie yeah the borat movie as the well movie. it's been a bad year for rudy giuliani i mean it should be a bad yeah. year i think i think that we're just gonna flat out announce that um along with not being friends of neo-nazis this podcast will probably never be a friend of rudy giuliani no, I don't think so. With we all due respect. we made fun of him in the Diego Maradona podcast as well, so he's having a bad time with yeah. us. 
um, there was an excellent uh, slam poem uh, that was written about uh, the moon project as well, which they show in the film. Whitey on the moon. Whitey on the moon. Isadora, a beat? A uh, very uncoordinated Isadora beat. <laughs> a rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arms began to swell and Whitey's on the moon. I can't pay no doctor bill, but Whitey's on the moon. Ten years from now, I'll be paying still while my Whitey's on the moon. A rat done bit my sister Nell with Whitey on the moon. Her face and arm begin to swell, but Whitey's on the moon. Was all that money I made last year for Whitey on the moon? How come there ain't no money here? Hmm, Whitey's on the moon. You know I just about had my fill of Whitey on the moon. I think I'll send these doctor bills. Airmail special to Whitey on the moon. <laughs> okay, but in all fairness, I remember when they were reading out the poem, I was like, this is savage, but it's also so completely It's so true, yeah. They were not going to send an African-American man on the moon. They were not going to send anyone who wasn't a white man to the moon. Yeah. They were going to send a woman. Yeah. They were going to send the stereotypical like white male astronaut on the moon, and that no. is a very fair commentary. Yeah. There is a, uh, there's like a new, um, Amazon, or just a new Apple show called uh, For All Mankind, which is set in like a woke alternate 1960s where they sent like women to the moon. But I was like, that was never going to happen. Like, this is the 1960s. Like, the people who were in control, who ha- held the levers of power, were all men and all mm-hmm. white men, you know? But, like, and it's maybe... not in the time where women were housewives. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe if the space project happened in the 90s, it would happen. But yeah, like, clearly yeah. not going to happen. Because not like all women were housewives, but in this particular set, like, all the men were like engineers. They'd like mm. trained, they worked for NASA, and all of them had like the very, uh, at least from what we saw, yeah. what the movie portrayed, the very like stereotypical like 1960s. Yeah. And, and like you did have people like the african-american women in hidden figures but they were like very much behind the scenes you know like they weren't even included in any like documentary footage at the time so even if you're studying the moon missions you wouldn't even be aware that they are part of it so they clearly weren't going to put someone who wasn't a white man on the moon but then that's like an actual i remember i was talking to my friends about this because my friends are very 50 50. i have some people who are like the money that we met that we spent going to the moon was great because it helped us achieve revolutionary leaps in technology. Mm. But then there were other people who were like, "But we really should could spend that money to better help other communities." And I'm actually yeah. quite I'm quite divided by that because on the one hand, from a public health perspective, I really want to reinvest that money in communities that really need it. But then from a scientific perspective, like, what's cooler than going on the moon? You know what I mean? Like, there's this wonderful essence of like human voyage and like the human spirit over cold mm. dark space you know that's so fascinating to me yeah i think if you say if i think you can't make a purely rational economic argument for it i think you can't just say oh you know the moon missions are worth it because we have smoke alarms because of it and like probably would have got smoke alarms with some other research <laughs> like we didn't need to spend like hundreds of billions of dollars on it but i think it is one of these things where like people didn't talk about you know americans being on the moon or like men be or or like specifically men being on the moon you know it was like it was a man on the moon it was a person on the moon it was like a moment for humankind like when it's like one of the biggest events of the millennium you know and um like i don't think you can put a price on that like yes the money probably could have made more difference to more people's lives um on a day-to-day basis but it gave like humanity a sense of hope and a sense that they could achieve anything then I guess the point that that poem is trying to make, and I guess the thing that I'm asking is, did it give everyone hope that they could achieve anything, or did it give a very specific subset <laughs> of people yeah. hope that they could achieve anything? Yeah. And then low socioeconomic status and minority population just like, ah, oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. Clap, clap, that's NASA. A, that's a fair point. You know, like, the NASA didn't send a woman in, even to space until the 1980s. Um, 
and like they were saying there, the, like the and like Kurt Vonnegut said, uh, the money probably could have been better spent elsewhere. Um, and the film really examines that. Like, I don't know. I think that okay. I will say, I really like, like the point that you made before. So in a lot of space movies, we get to see a lot of shots of space. It's this very like majestic mm. America. We're awesome. We're gonna roll in and just like be American. You mm. know what I mean? Like a lot of there's a lot of like fantastic space Hurrah. movies. Yeah, like space movies. I usually find they're either like the very um. We're gonna make you extremely uncomfortable or terrified about space. Like gravity. Or it's like yeah. Or it's like. Americans rolling into kick ass and take names, everyone. You yeah, know, like they, Armageddon. Yeah, they tend to like diverge into those yeah. two things. But then this one is like, actually, no, we're going to step back from the concept of space itself and just do like a psychological analysis of this one grieving father, which is why I stand by that it's like the world's most expensive therapy session. Yeah, I mean, there are moments in space where you're terrified. And it's like the moon landing sequence is incredibly tense and the Gemini mission is incredibly tense. But like, so much of it is just based on his like failing marriage and. The fact that he won't open up to anyone else emotionally, like even one of his, um, you know, fellow um, astronauts, like tries to ask him about it, and he just completely de deflects the question. You know, like, nope, nope. like he's like the only way I've survived over the last decade, like the hor horrific death of my daughter, is just by, you know, shutting it away, and like the only it shows when he like goes in and out of consciousness, he's thinking about her because like throughout his conscious life, he is trying to just suppress that because he can't think of the. Well, he, he thinks, that, he perceives that he can't think about her because he'll break down completely, like, so he just tries to lock it all in. I will say, um, going back to what you were saying about the moon landing being so tense, I will say that the few times that they focus on space, like I said, it's not a big, like, space shot. Mm. They're always these very, like, claustrophobic shots of inside the space, inside, like, um, the spaceship. And I really liked it because it made me scared. Mm. Like, very few space movies actually, well, okay. I will say most space movies, when they make me scared, they scare me because they emphasize like the deep emptiness and openness of space, mm -hmm. and that really scares me. Mm. But then for this one, they were able to be like, no, we're gonna just make you extremely claustrophobic, and we're also gonna showcase how kind of um, sensitive the spaceship is, like how it could break at any moment. Yeah. Like there are little pieces like falling out it's, at times. Yeah, it's incredibly fragile. You see like a screw that's like slightly loose, and you're like, yeah. oh god, I hope that's not important. And like even the even the film stock they use is different. So for most of the film, they use normal 35 millimeter film, but when they're stuck in these tiny capsules, they use a 16 millimeter film, which is grainy and it makes it feel like a home video, like like you're stuck in this like you know tiny room that you might not get out of and it's only when they finally get to the moon uh it goes to the imax kind of 70 millimeter film and suddenly you get a sense of awe and majesty and it just looks incredible and another thing is when they were like you know shaking the space shuttles and like making it feel really like uh like your moments from dead one of the reasons the, the crew and the actors look so tense is because there's no green screen like they had a projectors in the background so it's a little bit like the mandalorian um, where there's no green screen, the projectors are there, so if you're looking outside the windows of the spaceship, you're seeing stars. Which I thought was super effective, because not only does it look better, it's not going to date like a green screen does, but it means that the actors can be get fully immersed in it. Now what I think is really cool is that it's such a practical visual effect. Mm. Like, I feel like, um, well, one of the reasons I, I mean, there are many issues I have with modern Star Wars movies, but uh, in general, I find that movies when, when they utilize too much CGI, it gets to the point where it's unrealistic, but not just unrealistic because of the way it looks, but because the character, like the actor obviously can't see what is supposed to be happening, so mm. they also struggle to commit to the correct emotions on the scene. Yeah. But you could tell that everyone on that ship was extremely uncomfortable, and I'm like, I get that 
Batman, if you put me in a small space and started shaking me, I too would look stressed. Yeah, all I can think about is that picture of Hayden Christensen, like, with the green screen in the background, like, between shots, and just looking so dejected. Because if someone says, like, well, you know, uh, Hayden, you're on a, a magma planet, and you're incredibly angry at your, at your former uh, Jedi Master, and you're taking out your anger on him in a fight, and you're like, well, what do I have to go on? Like... And he's like, well, you know, just imagine magma. Or maybe you've seen like some concept art book and read the script, but that's about it. Um, whereas this is like, you feel like you're in it. You know, it doesn't take a massive leap of imagination to think that I'm going to die if I step outside. And I will say, when you're talking about the moon landing sequence, um, and even when they're just on the moon, I actually did think that that scene was so touching, particularly, um, if I remember correctly, it's like a little bracelet or something that he carries from his daughter. Mm, yeah. Yeah, so... He goes carrying a bracelet of his daughter um, when he goes up to the moon landing, and then he gets this gigantic black pit on the moon, and he drops the bracelet, and it's like this moment of catharsis, and it's mm. very beautiful and everything. But it's why I stand by that it was just a very expensive therapy session. Yeah, yeah I, I liked it a lot. Like, there was a huge controversy at the time that there wasn't a shot of them putting up the American flag. The Which, moon is international property. Yeah, though, so. well, I don't think it would have fit into the theme of the movie, because the, the entire movie is him avoiding... You know, after his, after his daughter dies of um, leukemia, him avoiding and touching his emotions, burying himself in his work. And it's only when he gets to his moon, when he gets to the moon, and you see Buzz Aldrin, like, leaping around, happy, and it's the like, best moment of his life. He finally realizes, like, I've put a decade of my life into, you know, putting all my emotions at arm's length. And now, finally, that I've achieved nominally what I want to achieve, they've, like, come rushing towards me. And he's, like, finally at one with his emotions. And I found it really powerful. I was like, this is, this is what he has been putting off all this time fact like really coming to terms with the loss of his daughter and when he comes back and he's in isolation you like you see him put his hand up to the screen and like his wife puts his hand up and for the first time like they're processing their grief together because it's terrible like not only did she have the fear of losing him but she felt like she was the only person who lost someone because mm -hmm. he just wouldn't talk about it at all like obviously she knew that he was hurting but the fact that she kept he kept her at arm's length for so long meant that um uh, meant that she felt like she was more alone than ever. I also appreciate that you mentioned Buzz Aldrin, the one person having fun. Yeah. One person having fun in this movie. Yeah, the Buzz Aldrin actor is just having the most fun and everyone else was like incredibly sad. However, I, I think it's actually like quite accurate because whenever you meet Buzz Aldrin, he seems like the exact type of, like whenever you see entries of Buzz Aldrin, he yeah. seems like the exact type of person who would just be like, yeah, I'm jumping on the moon, guys. Having <laughs> such a good time. <laughs> Apparently, Buzz Aldrin got depression afterwards because he was like, he was like, the best moment of my life has already happened. You know, like, where do I go from here? But I'd see how it happens. There's a, there's a funny sketch in, they made a sequel to uh, Little Virgin called Little Virgin USA. And uh, one of the guys is a British journalist who's interviewing Neil Armstrong. And uh, they're like, well, you know, Neil doesn't want to uh, talk about his, you know, moon stuff. He just wants to talk about his singing songwriting. And it's like, Neil Armstrong. And he's like, yes. And it's like, how would you describe Neil Armstrong as someone who just arrived on this planet? And they're like, I would say he was the first singer-songwriter on the moon. <laughs> it is a hard thing, but I'm sure it's the thing that a lot of astronauts probably at that time, yeah. not even astronauts, but like, probably people at like the peak of their career when they know they've done probably the coolest thing they're ever going to do. Yeah, and like all your entire life afterwards will be like the reflected glory of having been on the moon, having been in space. Like you watch that movie Terms from Endearments, and... Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Jack Nicholson plays this like ego, ego-driven, aging astronaut who's trying to bed women half his age. Like, did you know I was an astronaut? 
I mean, to be honest, astronaut, being an astronaut is pretty cool, man. Yeah, especially back then. The, like. Being an astronaut during the Cold War. Mm. Like, a million and one things wrong with the Cold War, but I can only imagine, like, what superstars astronauts were. Like, how yeah. big NASA was during that time. Must be incredible. Do you know the cosmonauts, uh, when they put them in space, they gave them a gun on their way back? Because uh, with the Americans, they made them land in water, but with Soviets, they landed on land. Like, and in case you're in the middle of Siberia, they wanted you to have a gun in case a bear tried to attack you. I mean, for a second, I thought the gun was, like, for the astronauts, and I'm like, yeah. I'm glad that they at least wanted to rescue the astronauts. Cause they didn't do the same thing when they sent out um, dogs yeah. to space. Yeah, not like it never came back. Yeah. And uh, it's been revealed in recent years that there's a huge amount of unsuccessful Soviet space missions, but they were just never broadcast, you know? So there's one where a man is, like, like his space, uh, space shuttle is crashing, essentially, and he's on, you know, the radio to his wife. But there's nothing either of them can do and like you hear like their last moments together and it's so so sad but again this wasn't released for until after the fall of the soviet union because it would have been so bad for their pr but every american failure was like, massively publicized yeah. yeah exactly so the apollo one mission and you know the later columbia and challenger disasters and that's one of the things that um you know one of the reasons people lost faith in the moon missions and the space missions in general because um of these horrible disasters so I will say on that, um, it is a really good movie. It apparently didn't make that much money. Yeah, so First Man, the reason I have it on Flopshop, it did not make a profit. So there's a huge amount of hype behind this at the time. So um, the director, uh, Damien Chazelle, had previously made Whiplash, which is an incredible film. Uh, he made La La Land, which came this close to winning the Oscar and technically won the Oscar for about two minutes. Uh, oh, the La La Land one. thing was ridiculous. Yeah. I'm like, sir, sir. Yeah. So this movie only made about a quarter of what La La Land's made, even though there's a huge amount of hype behind it, and Ryan Gosling was a huge star. And normally space movies, I particularly feel like American-centric yeah. space movies tend to space do well. Space movies do well. Gravity made like 700 million. It's cool. Like, Americans yeah. love space movies. It's a thing. I think, I'd say some people found it kind of too sad and too kind of navel-gazing, but I think that's why it works, because, you yeah, know... We it, have so many positive space movies, like... Yeah. Yeah, just think new in the genre. Yeah, exactly. Like, well, like we've had our gravities, we've had our Apollo 13s, which is movies where like you're like, are they gonna make it back okay? Are they not? Um, so this, like, yeah, there's an element of that, but it really is just it, like a journey inwards as much as a journey outwards. I adore it, though. I will say it was a really, really good movie. It made me very anxious, though. Like my my anxious self was not happy throughout yeah. that movie. Yeah. So if you have like a deep inherent anxiety and you do not want to be stuck in a dark movie theater watching some movie <laughs> in a dark cram place, maybe not the movie for you. Yeah. But otherwise, not a movie for claustrophobic people. Yeah, but otherwise, yeah, good movie. it's a great cast. And Claire Foy plays his wife. She's very good in it. Yeah. She's also the queen. In in the crown the first two seasons of the crown i really like her she gets that very like emotionally repressed look done very well mm. she has a lot of experience though that's from the crown. that's probably why they chose it yeah. they're like who can hide her emotions but then you kind of know what she's feeling at any time yeah yeah overall though i would say it was a fantastic movie. i think this is one of our shorter episodes but uh scammer bop oh it's a bop hard bop definitely hard bop uh hard bop for me as well we'll be back next week with our next review still deciding what we do a christmas movie Maybe I do like Christmas movies. We do. It's a Wonderful Life, maybe. I do. I actually very much like that. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we'll see you next week for Wonderful Life. Bye -bye. It's goodbye from me. Bye-bye. <laughs> and it's a goodbye from her. Bye-bye.